Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I am Nick Garisco at Fantasy Law Guy. Today's episode, a major Saints shakeup in the teens, possibly the top 10 of the NFL draft. I keep dropping the ball! Oh, I keep the ball! He did what? Playoffs? What are talking about? Playoffs? Who the hell is Mel Kite? They are who we thought they were. We let him off the hook. Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. What the hell's going on out here? Cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? You like that? Just keep matriculating the ball down the field, boy. I saw it, son. I saw it. Hello? You play to win the game. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. The New Orleans Saints have traded with the Philadelphia Eagles blockbuster draft trade right here. The Saints have acquired the 16th pick and the 19th pick of this draft, also a six-round pick from the Eagles. In exchange, the Saints had to give up the 18th pick, a third-round pick, a seventh-round pick, their first-rounder in 2023, and their second-rounder in 2024. This is indeed a heavy price to pay in terms of future draft capital, but... The focus here centers on mocking the draft. That is this podcast. And for purposes of this podcast, the Saints have picks 16 and 18. And now the Eagles have picks 15 and 19. And analysts and Saints fans alike, they seem split on whether this was a move to fill two major positions of need, namely offensive tackle, wide receiver, maybe safety, in order to compete and win a pretty weak NFC South division with Jameis Winston at quarterback, or or whether this move was intended to load up on ammunition to move up into the top 10 for a quarterback of the future. And today I'm going to discuss which side of that debate I am on, what I think the Saints plan may be, and who specifically I believe the Saints may be targeting with this deal. I'll be playing out both scenarios so as to hopefully better prepare y'all for what to expect in either case. And certainly the Saints having two first round picks makes this draft more exciting, especially for my local audience, all five of you. And my mock draft has been updated and is being updated daily on fantasylawguide.com. So be sure to check that out and follow along. You can also check out my introductory NFL draft episode if you have not already. It's kind of a great primer. Talks about the beginning stages of the mocking process, quarterback landing spots, and kind of team need prospect fits in the top 10. But since the initial draft episode was a few days ago, there have been some changes to the top 10. And we'll start with the summarized update here, how I think the top 10 is looking right now. And then we'll discuss teams picking between 11 and 20 in this year's drafts. And I wanted to go all the way to from 11 to 32 today, but I know how much I ramble. and I know the Saints-Eagles trade will take up a lot of time, and rightfully so. So we'll finish up teams picking 21 through 32 on the next episode, and we'll focus on updates, betting the draft, strategy, all that stuff beyond that. That is the plan, so let's get started today. Changes to the top 10. The Jacksonville Jaguars, I'm keeping them with Aiden Hutchinson, defensive end out of Michigan. They have heavy needs on the O-line, D-line. The belief, which is based on those needs, uh, but also the best player in the draft and the importance of the positions, the comments and the history from the coach and, and GM, that this pick will either be on the offensive line or the defensive line. Alabama tackle Evan Neal used to be the Vegas favorite for this pick. Now it's Michigan defensive end Aiden Hutchinson. It's followed by UGA defensive end Travon Walker. I'm sticking with Hutchinson here. Really no changes here. Detroit at two. I'm confident they want Jacksonville to pass on Aiden Hutchinson. I'm still leaning towards Travon Walker for this pick, but by no means is this uh, carved in stone. I'm a little higher than the media on quarterback Malik Willis going here. I think, at least I think there's a better chance than the media or sports books are giving it right now. In general, I think that the top three quarterbacks of this draft class, Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, and Desmond Ritter, will start to kind of reveal themselves as the top the top three. There's, it's kind of more ambiguity right now. And I actually I also think they're going to start climbing up expert mocks within probably this week, I should say. Maybe not Willis all the way up to two in, at Detroit, but you, you never know. I think we'll probably see two quarterbacks in the top 10, maybe three in the top 20. And maybe Matt Corral out of Ole Miss sneaks into the bottom of round one. Maybe a team like Seattle trades up for him. Someone to get that fifth-year option, which is so important with quarterbacks. 
because they're paid so much and you want to keep them under that rookie deal. But a lot of prominent connected analysts like Daniel Jeremiah, like for example, he doesn't even have a quarterback taken in round one of his most recent mock. And most mocks do not have one in the top 10. If they do, they certainly don't have two in the top 10. I strongly disagree. I definitely disagree that there won't be three in the top 20. I'm pretty confident of that. I'll say that it's above a 50% chance that three quarterbacks will be taken in the top 20. And a lot of experts seem to be dismissing quarterback to the lines as even a possibility. And I don't think we should be surprised if that happens. I think Detroit, they genuinely like Jared Goff. But we should note that his salary increases substantially for 2023, and a large por- that's when a large guaranteed portion of his deal is done. So they can be finished with Jared Goff after the 2022 season. He will be the quarterback for the 2022 season, but Malik Willis, dynamic, probably the highest ceiling among the quarterbacks in this class, he, but he's a raw prospect. So he could be mentored, kind of redshirted for a year under Jared Goff. Willis was also coached by his coaching staff in the Senior Bowl, and he was impressive in the Senior Bowl. That's why that's when his stock kind of started rising within the media. I think the arguments against quarterback here at two for Detroit, you know, the arguments are, oh, well, next year's class is, is going to be better. Or, oh, well, Detroit picks at 32 and 34, so maybe they can take a quarterback then. They can package those picks and move up. I think those arguments are pretty weak. First, no one on the competitive Detroit coaching staff just assumes that they're going to suck next year. The Lions don't think they're going to suck next year. The Lions were actually competitive at the end of the year. Who's to say they will be picking in the top five again next year? I doubt it, honestly. And even if they are, this organization is certainly not trying to tank again before the season even starts. Second, the 32nd pick and the 34th pick overall, using them to move up to get a quarterback really doesn't make a lot of sense either. Because if you're rebuilding, first of all, you want the quarterback that you want. You're not just going to wait for one to slide to you and say, okay, well, you know, Desmond Ritter slid to me or Matt Corral slid to me. I guess we'll take him here. No, you're either in or a quarterback or you're out. Drafting whoever's left over at the end of round one you know, and deciding to pounce then, that's not really a plan. It's just kind of a prayer. And while it could happen that a guy they like, like Ritter, maybe falls, it's not something you really plan or your whole draft around. There's still a long way to go, though. I think that we'll learn more about Detroit's intentions, particularly if Hutchinson to Jacksonville becomes more or less official. And the focus will be in the media on the second pick, similar to where the third pick last year with the Niners with Mac Jones and Trey Lance. But to me, although that, that didn't help me, but to me, I give Trevon Walker like a 50% chance to land here if Aiden Hutchinson isn't here. And I think there's a 25% chance that they'll draft Malik Willis here. And I think there's like a 25% that'll be other slash trade, maybe Kayvon Thibodeau. But this organization, particularly GM Brad Holmes, preaches high character. I've heard from multiple sources that Thibodeau's interviews have not been well received by some teams. So I'm a little cautious about, I could feel like Detroit could be one of those teams. So I'm a little cautious about mocking Thibodeau to Detroit, even though it is a need. And even though I do think he's talented enough to go in the top 10. Houston at pick three. I think they'll take Hutchinson or Trevon Walker if Jacksonville or Detroit doesn't. They're a little bit of a wild card here. Houston is. They need offensive line. Top two guys, Evan Neal, Akeem, Ekwanu, a.k.a. Icky, are definitely options for Houston. I kind of have them going with the safe choice in Evan Neal right now. Maybe Kayvon Thibodeau, maybe Sauce Gardner, cornerback out of Cincinnati. Uh, I'm kind of playing it safe. Again, with offensive line right now, I have Neal. No change there. New York Jets at four. There is a change. I had cornerback Sauce Gardner here. Cornerback has a huge need to make no mistake about it. Arguably the biggest need on paper. But I keep reading how the Jets defensive-minded head coach Robert Salah, his scheme has never really prioritized cornerbacks dating back to San Francisco. Instead, he emphasizes defensive line. And that kind of leads me to Kayvon Thibodeau, defensive end out of Oregon. I like to listen to the team's actions. And in free agency this offseason, the Jets, they were more they were really in on the Chandler Jones sweepstakes. And Chandler Jones, similar player, similar player to Kayvon Thibodeau. The Jets were also really close to landing Tyreek Hill in a trade. So pass rusher, wide receiver at 4-10. That's respect. They have two picks at 4 or 10. That's respectively how I have it right now. Pass rusher and then wide receiver. But cornerback Sauce Gardner definitely makes a ton of sense from a needs perspective too. He seems like the safer pick. This offensive line, they could also go in the offensive line uh, with Icky or Evan Neal. But I'm leaning Thibodeau at four right now 
um, or Sauce Gardner over offensive line for pick four. But we will see. Uh, the New York Giants at pick five. I strongly believe the Giants are going to go offensive line with at least one of their first two picks. I think it's going to be this one. I think they would be happy with Evan Neal, Icky, or Charles Cross out of Ole Miss. I think that the offensive tackle needy Carolina Panthers being sandwiched between the Giants' two picks at five and seven kind of forces the Giants to go offensive line. So this pick to me will be an offensive lineman. I think that's a strong bet. Uh, I think that the Giants will likely end up with either Charles Cross or Icky here at pick five. Carolina, I think Carolina at six also loves Charles Cross. Uh, just as the Giants do. So the chances are that Cross will go in this range between five and seven. Again, the Giants pick at five and seven. Carolina picks at six. So I see Charles Cross going between five and seven. I also believe that the Panthers would pounce if Evan Neal or Icky fell to this spot. This pick is very, very, very likely going to be quarterback or offensive tackle. A lot of draft pundits are noting the connections with Pitt quarterback Kenny Pickett, who is recruited by head coach Matt Rule, and owner David Tepper is a Pitt alum. I talked about this on my last podcast. I had Pickett mocked here. I change it almost every day between Pickett and Charles Kloss. The Panthers have brought a lot of decision makers to the Pitt Pro Day. That is Pickett. They're also meeting, meeting privately with pretty much all relevant quarterback prospects, though. And to me, this is kind of a toss-up between a quarterback like Pickett or Malik Willis, whichever one uh, and whichever one of the top three offensive tackles falls here. Uh, Carolina, they do not have a second or third round pick. Um, so I bet there have been conversations in the front office about taking a tackle here, the best available tackle, um, like someone like a Charles Cross, shoring up that left tackle spot, uh, fixing that offensive line, which they've been trying to do all offseason, and then maybe moving back into round one if a guy like Kenny Pickett slides. Um, I flip between Charles Cross and Kenny Pickett again like three times a day for this pick. So I'm just really not sure. The Giants at seven, James Bradbury's probably being traded. Cornerback and secondary as a whole are need. They need a lot of work. Sauce Gardner could be the apple of New York's eye here at seven. Could also be Kayvon Thibodeau, who I believe they like a lot. Again, my bet would be that the Giants go offensive line at five, and then I think they're going to go defense at pick seven. I think it's going to be either Kayvon Thibodeau or Sauce Gardner, whoever is available. Atlanta at eight. I'm sticking with Malik Willis, quarterback here. It just makes too much sense schematically, culturally. Uh, it fits the Atlanta timeline if Mariota plays this year. Um, and then right after I published my initial episode, which I think I was the only one that I know at least that had uh, mocked Willis to Atlanta. And I had that for about the last week. Actually, I think maybe Peter King did, but I was one of the only ones who had. But right after I released that episode explaining why, Adam Schefter reported that Malik, Malik Willis is scheduled to visit with the Panthers and the Falcons. So there is that. Um, if it's not Willis, I could see uh, offensive line here, Evan Neal, Icky, or Charles Cross that they slip through the cracks with those O-line needy teams I mentioned above. Wide receiver, Drake London, Garrett Wilson. This is where you're going to start to see maybe the wide, first wide receiver off the board. I think this is the highest possible pick for the first receiver off the board. I'm hearing links, a lot of links between Drake London, receiver out of USC, and Garrett Wilson, receiver out of Ohio State. Those are the two wide receivers that I'm hearing a lot for the Atlanta Falcons. Both make sense. I mean, honestly, any receiver makes sense for the Falcons. It's too much of a need, especially without Calvin Ridley. Um, Jermaine Johnson is another person I see mocked here a lot. There are thoughts uh, within some experts that Jermaine Johnson fits better than Kayvon Thibodeau here in the defensive scheme. I don't know if that's really true or not, but I think Kayvon Thibodeau, Jermaine Johnson, definitely options for the Falcons. Uh, Thibodeau's, mm, I don't know, maybe 50%, 50-50 going to be available for the Falcons. Actually, probably a little less than 50%. So Jermaine Johnson's probably the smarter mocked player if you want to go for a pass rusher uh, for the Atlanta Falcons at eight. But right now I'm going to stick with Malik Willis. Uh, quarterback. I think this is going to be his range, particularly if Kenny Pickett goes at six to Carolina uh, and there's more of a rush to get one of the top three quarterbacks, then yeah, I think this will be his range. Seattle, huge wild card. They could also go with Malik Willis. Personally, though, I, I'm kind of on the uh, on the side where Seattle's in full tank mode where you know they've not resigned their only good offensive lineman, Dwayne Brown. 
There have been conflicting reports about DK Metcalf being on the block. There have been rumors about Tyler Lockett uh, being traded to Jacksonville. They have a lot of needs, including quarterback. Drew Locke's their current quarterback. So this will be a popular spot for Malik Willis. Again, uh, the Seahawks reportedly high on him at the uh, Combine. But I'm starting to believe more and more that the plan is for Seattle to kind of tank this year, draft a quarterback next year. They have two first-rounders in 2023. They may be picking in the top five with a top Tough division, Andrew Lockett quarterback. Maybe they'll try to mitigate some of the damage and be somewhat competitive with Baker Mayfield on one-year deal. Maybe they'll move back into round one to select Matt Corral. I mentioned the Lane Kiffin-Pete Carroll connection there, but to me, this is about Pete Carroll kind of going best player available here. And the Seahawks are notorious about drafting toolsy, athletic uh, talents who have shown great flashes but have some red flags that maybe scare some other teams off so they kind of fall, be it injuries, difficult personalities, whatever. Uh, So to me, Kayvon Thibodeau and Derek Stingley come to mind for this Seattle pick at pick nine. For now, I believe there will be an offensive tackle run early because of the, the steep drop-off after the four top four offensive tackles in this class, Evan Neal, uh, Iki Ikwanwu, Trevor Pinning out of Northern Iowa, and Charles Cross, as I mentioned, out of Ole Miss. I think that Seattle's offensive line, it is the worst in the NFL on paper right now. And because Pinning's playing style meshes with Carol, Pete Carroll's desire to operate a smash-mouth running game, I really don't want to move Trevor Pinning off this pick. I understand that it's higher than you'll see him on really any other expert model. I think out of all the mocks I've looked at, which are hundreds, maybe thousands at this point, I think I'm the only person that maybe or maybe one or two people that have Penny here at uh, nine. It's the highest I've seen him. But still, I just think it's a perfect fit. It fits a need. It fits what uh, Pete Carroll really wants out of a player. So yeah, I, I'm going to stick with Penny here now. Plus, I think the other three offensive tackles are probably off the board by this point anyway. For the Jets at pick 10, Sauce Gardner, Kayvon Thibodeau, if they are there, I don't think they will be. So that leads me to believe wide receiver. I mentioned that they were so close to getting Tyreek Hill. Uh, I think that they want to kind of complete the offense. There's no need to think that Corey Davis will be on this team by the end of the year, especially if it's another year like last year. He's His contract is for more than next year, but almost all the guaranteed money of his contract is paid at the end of this year. So they can cut ties with Corey Davis. They drafted a lot. More, but I think they view him as more in the slot, maybe along with Braxton Berrios. So to me, it seems like the Jets want one more receiver to really help out Zach, their young quarterback and Zach Wilson. Again, they need offensive line. Maybe as Charles Cross or Pending is available. I could definitely see that being the pick. Um, but to, I think this pick will be offense if Sauce Gardner or Kayvon Thibodeau isn't there. So it's going to be either Pending or probably a wide receiver. Uh, Garrett Wilson fits well there. The Jets have been rumored to be really high on uh, Traylon Burks. Uh, out of Arkansas. Those are names to keep an eye on. Drake London, of course, makes sense. Uh, Jamison Williams. I think Peter Schrager was the kind of made some uh, waves kind of mocking Jamison Williams there. That was the first time I've seen him mocked there. That also makes sense because I think the Jets' timeline, they're not looking necessarily for a wide receiver to play immediately because like I said, they have Corey Davis. They have Elijah Moore. They have Braxton Berrios in the slot. So maybe this is a pick where they can, a luxury pick, they can take Jamison Williams he can replace Corey Davis and be a better than Corey Davis next year and be that deep threat that the Jets really want. So that's kind of my updated top 10. Today's show is about the teens, however. We have a huge Saints shakeup there that I'm excited to talk about, particularly from a mocking perspective, because the trade also has potential to affect the top 10 in a major way. So let's get into uh, picks 11 through 20 is what we'll discuss today. All right, at pick 11 right now, the Washington Commanders. I think quarterback definitely was the favorite here before they traded for Carson Wentz. But to me, the trade for Carson Wentz kind of signaled that maybe they didn't either think they were going to get one of the top quarterbacks of the draft class, or maybe they didn't really like or love the top quarterbacks in this draft class. So I think while quarterback will be a consideration here, the vibe that I'm getting is while Washington is desperate to find their long-term answer at quarterback, I don't really believe I don't really think that they think it's Carson Wentz, but I think they believe Carson Wentz buys them a year of maybe developing a, a, a rookie like maybe Matt Corral or Sam Howell in round two, but probably not 
Pickett or Willis or Ritter in round, or in round one because I believe that the Washington Commanders believe that they think they can win the division, the NFC East, with Carson Wentz. So, and once you get in the playoffs, I mean, really anything can happen, especially in the the the, the weak NFC with their lack of quarterbacks. So, yeah, that's how I kind of see Washington viewing this class in terms of quarterbacks. So instead, we look at the two biggest weaknesses on this team right now, wide receiver, right guard. I know that's a very specific, but their offensive line is pretty intact other than right guard. It's a little early for a guard, so we're going to talk about the wide receivers. Washington is kind of in perfect range to take a wide receiver. Terry McLaurin. He's in the final year of his contract. Curtis Samuel, he's always injured, especially last year. He really couldn't be counted on to stay healthy. So I think Drake London makes a lot of sense because of his size, complementing the two smaller wide receivers. But Ron Rivera, head coach, he showed up uh, to Ohio State's Pro Day. He never goes to Pro Days, from what I understand. And he showed a lot of interest in Chris Alave and in Garrett Wilson. So things change, but I have pretty high confidence that a wide receiver will be the pick here and probably one of the OSU kids. I think defensively, they could use some players pretty much at every position. They're kind of one of those weird defenses that have invested a lot on the defensive side of the ball. So you kind of lean away from defense, but then you're reminded that Washington's defense kind of sucked last year and it's a big disappointment. They could use a linebacker. They could use a defensive lineman. They could use somebody in the secondary, but they're not like terrible at any of those positions. But again, because they have such a need at the wide receiver position, maybe offensive line, I, I, I just tend to think that, and because they've already invested so much on the defensive side of the ball already, be it in free agency or the last couple drafts, I tend to think that offense is where we should lean here. And to me, it's going to be one of the OSU wide receivers most likely. And if I had to pick a defender, I'd probably pick Kyle Hamilton, uh, safety out of Notre Dame. He's probably going to slide out of the top 10, even though a lot of teams will see him as one of the top five, maybe best overall players in the draft class. But safety's just not. It's a little bit like running back. There's just so many of them who can play. It's an important position in the past happy league, but there's just so many of them who can play that you can get safeties later in the draft because of the de-emphasized value in the position. Doesn't mean safeties aren't important, but because there's it's easier to plug and play them right now. And a lot of teams are finding them later in the draft or in free agency. I think Kyle Hamilton uh, probably will fall, but I do think he could be a match with the Washington Commanders here uh, kind of as a leader of the defense. The Vikings at pick 12, new general manager, new head coach, new defensive coordinator, switching from a 4-3 base defense under Zimmer for all these years to a 3-4 base defense. They'll need players who fit that front. The new GM, very analytical here. The thought process there seems to be that they're going to lean towards premium positions, defensive end, cornerback, maybe offensive tackle, maybe wide receiver because they're getting paid so much in free agency. They're going to put an analytical spin on this, I think. And to me, the most likely positions seem to be from a need perspective, pass rush and cornerback. Everson Gerfin, he's a free agent. Don't think he's going to be resigned. Uh, Daniil Hunter, he only played seven games last season. Uh, teams have inquired about his availability. They did just re-sign him or restructure his contract. Anthony Barr, who you know may have been a pass rusher on base downs in the new scheme, he is a free agent. They signed uh, stand-up linebacker Jordan Hicks, but Jason Lockenfora reported that the Vikings would listen to trade offer for line- stud linebacker Eric Kendricks. Is he a fit in new- this new scheme? And defensive tackle Michael Pierce. Pierce was cut shortly after that report. So Lockenfora also reported that Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook could be had for the right price. Uh, so it's kind of a weird situation here. Are the Vikings trying to kind of purge? Are they trying to win now? I'm not really sure. Adam Thielen, he's 32 years old, injury prone lately. The Vikings, they run a lot of 11 personnel, which means three wide receivers on the field. This will be a good spot for wide receiver in the draft uh, where you know the, the receiver prospects that I've listed, Drake London, Jamison Williams, Garrett Wilson, Chris Alave, Traylon Burks. So like five receivers could go by the top in the top 20 picks. And we'll talk about that a lot today because we're getting through the top 20 today. You can't rule that out for the Vikings just because on the paper they have Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. The team, they did sign defensive tackle Harrison Phillips and defensive end Zadarius Smith. But the front seven, again, scheme change. They need a lot of work. Probably not as much work as cornerback, though. Mike Zimmer prioritized the cornerback position in round one, but he had a few misses. They brought in Chandon Sullivan to play nickel corner. They re-signed Pat Peterson. So this probably is Sauce Gardner's floor, in my 
opinion. Uh, and it may even be Derek Stingley's floor. Derek Stingley will be very popularly mocked here. And that's partially because Minnesota needs a corner. It's also partially because they have Pat Peterson, who could be a nice LSU mentor for Derek Stingley. It's also, I think, because Minnesota, they have a solid read on Stingley based on them hiring former LSU defensive coordinator slash defensive back coach uh, Durante Jones. So Derek Stingley makes a lot of sense here. And I think he's going to be mocked by a lot of people here at 12. His over under on Vegas right now. We'll talk about betting show later, but it's 12.5. So I think that kind of hits the nail on the head. Jermaine Johnson, pass rusher out of FSU, might be an option. I expect the team to be really high on George Karloftis. I think this is his ceiling here. Uh, Karloftis out of uh, defensive and out of Purdue. Those would be my best three guesses right now. Ranked in order, probably Stingley, uh, Jermaine Johnson, then Karloftis. Um, wide receiver is kind of a sleeper here, like I mentioned, just because of where they fall in the draft and just kind of how much they use wide receivers, Thielen's age. But again, there's not enough noise in the mock rumor world to really kind of mock that yet. Uh, so the Houston Texans pick at 13. This is a team that will be doing hundreds, maybe thousands of mock draft combinations, just like me, in order to see what the best value is in terms of, uh, I don't know, picking at three who will be available to pick uh, 13? Like, for instance, like they have picked three and 13. So should they go off into tackle at three? But maybe Charles Cross or Trevor Penning slides some uh, pick 13. So maybe they should have taken a pass rusher at three. Or maybe they really like Jermaine Johnson at, at 13. So maybe they should take an offensive line at three. So, yeah, they have a ton of needs. So they're going to be wide open on their board, especially at pick 13. But I think who they think at pick 13, who is available at pick 13, may kind of drive who they want at pick three. To me, it's very possible that the top four offensive linemen in this class, offensive tackles in this class, are gone by pick 13. So that makes me kind of makes me give a little better argument for them taking offensive tackle at pick three, which I have them taking Evan Neal right now. That could change. But anyway, the needs don't stop at pick 13. It's truly going to be a BPA pick right now. I think there's a good chance that wide receiver might be the best player available. It also fits a huge need. Uh, they want to give Davis Mills, their quarterback, a fair shake so they can properly evaluate him to decide if they want him to be the quarterback of the future or if they want to aggressively pursue quarterbacks next year in what should be a stronger quarterback class. So do they need a wide receiver? Chris, yes, they do. Chris Alave, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams. Uh, you'll hear those names a lot. Again, as I just said, I've already mentioned them a lot for the Jets at 10, even maybe for the Falcons at 8, for the Vikings at 12. Now we're talking about Houston at 13. A lot of teams need wide receiver. Luckily, this is a deep wide receiver class. Two defensive players I could easily see for the Texans. Actually, I'll just go ahead and say three. Jordan Davis, defensive tackle out of UGA, one of the most athletic players in the draft. Uh, the Texans couldn't stop the run last year. Kyle, and they have no defensive tackles. Kyle Hamilton, safety. They need uh, Devin Lloyd, linebacker. Uh, the top players at those respective positions, they need a leader for this defense. So yeah, uh, Kyle Hamilton, Devin Lloyd, all the receivers, Jordan Davis. This is tough. This will be a tough pick to mock, not to mention Jermaine Johnson. If they go offensive line at three, they need a pass rusher as well because they're probably considering Thibodeau at three as a pass rusher. So yeah, Jermaine Johnson. They could also use a cornerback uh, if Derek Stingley is available. So yeah, this is a tough pick to mock. So I'm probably just going to give them the best available player. From a strategic standpoint, I'm probably going to end up giving them the player I'm least confident into mocking because why would I mock somebody who I'm not really confident where they're going to a team that maybe I think has other prospects that I am more confident in. Uh, we'll talk more about boring strategy later in terms of mocking as we get closer to the draft. But it seems like this is going to be one of those picks where, oh, you know, I don't really know where Kyle Hamilton's going to end up. He's one of those players where a lot of teams are going to like him and, and be comfortable with him, but not a lot of teams love taking him. He's not rumored to, you know, go to like two or three specific teams. So yeah, let's just slot Kyle Hamilton right here. Maybe Devin Lloyd. So yeah, that might be what we see for the Texans. 14 Baltimore Ravens. Uh, these needs are more specific here. They need offensive line, defensive line, or cornerback. Unfortunately, those, you know, you start five offensive linemen, you start four defensive linemen, you start three or four cornerbacks are playing over 50% of the snap. So it could be a bunch of different types of players. But to me, offensive line is where we'll start. Center Bradley Bozeman, he's a free agent. The team tried to sign Tampa Bay center Ryan Jensen and failed to do so. Left guard Ben Powers, he's a free agent in 2023. Uh, so next year, right tackle Alejandro Villanueva, or Alejandro Villanueva, excuse me, he uh, retired 
And backup right tackle, Jawan James, has one year left on his team, and he missed the last two seasons with a severe injury, uh, prompting the team to sign veteran right tackle Morgan Moses. Uh, the unit made 64 out of 85 possible starts last season, tied 18th in the league. Uh, and that includes stud left tackle Ronnie Stanley playing just one game. He only played seven or eight games the year before. We don't really know the, the health status of Stanley for week one of next year. So center may be the biggest immediate hole, but offensive tackle definitely needed badly, especially if Stanley is not healthy. So Trevor Pinning, the last of the four offensive tackles that's probably going to be selected, if he's there, I mentioned nasty run blocker, Baltimore features the running game. That that pick makes perfect sense. I would be willing to, I'm not willing to bet it yet. We're going to talk more about actual sportsbook bets later, draft bets later, uh, maybe in a week or so uh, as we get close to the draft. But I would be willing to say that there's a greater than a 50% chance that Trevor Pinning's floor is 14 at Baltimore. And that's going to come up later because of the Saints and because of the Eagles and Chargers. So Trevor Penning's name will come up later. Uh, and I know a lot of you Saints fans who may think that that trade was made to get Trevor Penning may be finding this uh, comment or prediction as a surprise. But I do think that Trevor Penning, it's it's less than 50% likely that he's going to get past Baltimore at pick 14. It just makes too much sense and it's too much of a need. Now, who else could they draft if they don't draft Trevor Penning? Um, defensive end? They drafted one last April in round one. And Adafi Oye, he's a big, um, he's a nice building block. Tyus Bowser, he's also really good, but he's coming off a torn Achilles in week 17. Is he going to be ready to start the uh, to start the season? And he's also a free agent in 2023. So I definitely think defensive end is, and pass rush is definitely a priority for Baltimore to improve. And, and, and evidence of that is that, you know, we're following the money here. We're following the actions and free agency. Baltimore thought that they had Zadarius Smith locked up to a big deal, but then Smith backed out of the deal. So this shows that the team is very interested in upgrading the defensive end position. So keep that in mind. If they do not add another big name before the draft, George Karloftis, James, Jermaine Johnson, two available pass rushers potentially at defensive tackle. Captain Calais Campbell hasn't re-signed yet. Brandon Williams, Justin Ellis, also free agents. The team signed Michael Pierce, which is important, but I don't think this unit is completed yet. Jordan Davis, defensive tackle, UGA, perhaps the most athletic player in the draft for his position. Again, he makes a lot of sense for Baltimore, and you're going to see him mocked there by, I don't know, Let's right now it seems like about 15% of mocks out there. Uh, cornerback, decimated by injuries last year. I think this is a, a big problem area for Baltimore. Anthony Everett and Jimmy Smith are free agents. The team cut Tavon Young. He's resigned with, I mean, he's signed with the Bears. Marcus Peters, he's a free agent in 2023. Marlon Humphrey struggled last year. So cornerback, big need, despite two solid corners and Humphrey and Peters on paper just for next year. Derek Stingley makes a ton of sense and could be a steal for Baltimore, but Overall, very strong chance that this pick is either offensive line, defensive line, or cornerback. Again, players we're looking at, offensive tackle Trevor Penning, Northern Iowa, defensive end Jermaine Johnson, Derek Stingley at cornerback, defensive tackle Jordan Davis. I'm also going to throw a sleeper pick out there. I could see Baltimore taking their, their biggest need right now on paper is at center. It's a little early to take the best center in this draft class, which is Tyler Linderbaum out of Iowa. And again, it's a sleeper for this pick, but Ravens general manager, Eric DeCosta, he compared him to Marshall Yonda. And when asked about him, longtime standout centerpiece on the Baltimore offensive line, Yonda was. And, and, and Linderbaum is a really polished player. He's just a little undersized. So a lot of people have him going at the end of round one. He might slip out of round one entirely. But if Baltimore is going to reach, we know they prioritize offensive line. We know they have a big need at center. And again, Linderbaum, definitely the best player center in this draft class. Okay, so let's dive into Saints and Eagles. The Philadelphia Eagles, they have picks 15 and 18 after the trade with the New Orleans Saints. One thing I think this trade does is punt any quarterback controversy with Jalen Hurns to next year. They still are visiting with a lot of quarterbacks, curiously Philadelphia is, but other indications are that the Eagles will try to surround Hurts, ride him for one more year, and if things go south, use all that draft, draft capital they acquired from the Saints to aggressively target a quarterback in next year's class, which should be better, and the Eagles are good enough to make the playoffs right now with Hurts. They did so last season, so this is obviously a good move from 
from their standpoint. It makes a lot of sense. It also helps them financially splitting up the first round contracts with the fifth year option, which can be expensive. It splits those from having three in one year to two this year and two next year. So good for them. What will they do at picks 15 and 19? Defensively, they could improve at a lot of spots, but none are really glaring except for linebacker. But this regime historically does not value linebackers. I don't buy the narrative that Devin Lloyd, this year's top linebacker out of Utah, will be an exception to this rule. Yes, it's a need, but it's always a need for them. They don't care. The Eagles prioritize trenches in the draft, offensive line, defensive line. I probably will not be mocking linebacker to the Eagles, even though you probably will see that a lot with other experts. Uh, Offensive line, defensive line, it was that way under Andy Reid. It's that way now. So even though neither is an immediate need or pressing need on paper for 2022, I think it's worth discussing because we could see a future building block pick here, especially with the two picks. So offensive line, this is mainly a need again for next season. The unit was really injured last season. They only made 50 out of a possible 90 possible starts. The starters did. That ranked 31st in the league. The line is intact for 2022, but center Jason Kelsey, he's old. He he may retire. He's in the last year of his contract. Left guard Isaac Somalo and swing tackle Andre Dillard, former first round pick. They're all free agents in 2023. The O-line won't be listed as a need anywhere for Philadelphia, but it wouldn't shock me if they took like a Zion Johnson or a Trevor Penning. More likely is a defensive lineman like Jordan Davis Davis or Devontae Wyatt, both defensive tackles out of UGA. The Eagles have met with both privately, and Fletcher Cox is a free agent in 2023. Secondary, the Eagles were believed to have interest in J.C. Horn or Patrick Sertan on last year's draft, but both kind of came off the board right before them. I think that this is Derek Stingley's floor, and cornerback Trent McDuffie will be popularly mocked here. I think he's a little short, and I think he's got too short of arms to be picked this high. I mean, I personally don't care about that, but I think that other teams will think that. So to me, I kind of see him sliding further down than maybe other uh, draft pundits. To me, Trent McDuffie's range is more like the 19 to 25 range and not here at pick 15, uh, despite how great he supposedly was in in coverage last season. There's also a prime spot for Kyle Hamilton, and he's potentially going to slide as well. But I think 15 makes a lot of sense for Kyle Hamilton. The Eagles lost uh, starting safety Rodney McLeod in free agency. In the last position of the need, I will mention for Philly, and this is a big one, this is wide receiver. Could the Eagles really draft a wide receiver in the first round for the third straight year? Arguably, yes, because they whiffed so badly on Jalen Rager that they kind of have to. Um, They have Devontae Smith, and that's pretty much it. The rest of the guys honestly could get cut. They signed Zach Pascal, big whoop. Um, the receivers in this range, it's really a perfect spot to take a wide receiver. Uh, Drake London, if he's there. Chris Alave, I think Jamison Williams enters the conversation because the Eagles have two picks. They could afford to kind of be patient with Jamison Williams. Um, of course, with the ACL tear, he might miss like half the season next year. Uh, he probably would be the wide receiver one in this draft class and a good wide receiver draft class, if not for the ACL tear that I believe will cause him to sit out most of his rookie year. The Eagles, they have two first rounders. Again, so the risk is, you know, they might be a little more patient. I definitely like uh, receiver to the Eagles with this pick unless Kyle Hamilton uh, safety is on the board. And even then, I still think they could take a wide receiver over Kyle Hamilton because teams behind them, the Saints, the Chargers before their next pick also need wide receiver. Well, they probably, they arguably need safety too, Kyle Hamilton, but nevertheless, I definitely think that will cause them to kind of push their cornerback need down to pick 19, particularly if Stingley and, of course, if Sauce Gardner are off the board. So to me, this pick will probably be a pick 15 at least. We're looking at wide receiver. I would bet Drake London, Jamison Williams, they're high on both of them. Maybe Garrett Wilson, maybe Chris Olave, maybe Traylon Burks. But I would, I'd put, if I had to pick, I'd say Jamison Williams and Drake London would be the favorites for this pick. And if not wide receiver, I would say Kyle Hamilton, safety out of Notre Dame. So, and for, oh, I should, I'll just go ahead and get the Eagles 19th pick done as well. I think that's where I would kind of look at cornerback there. Maybe Trent McDuffie, Kyler Gordon out of Washington, both teammates there. So uh, that's kind of what I'm looking at for the Eagles at pick 19. If it's not one of those two corners, I could see it being another group of teammates. Well, sorry, another one of two teammates, which is the Georgia defensive tackles. Again, Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis at pick 19. So that's kind of how I view 15 and 19. Uh, Let's go to pick 16. Actually, let's go to pick 17. Let's skip the Saints right now because the Chargers are sandwiched between the Eagles and Saints pick, and they have picked 17. I want to talk about the Chargers 
before we talk about the Saints because it may be important in understanding why the Saints have made this trade. Uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, their biggest need is right tackle. Brian Balaga, he could not stay healthy. He was cut. And everyone saw how Storm Norton, Balaga's backup, who had to start for most of last season, he was a massive liability in a win-and-go-home game against the Raiders with the season on the line. He allowed 11 pressures in that game on national TV. And now I think that's stuck with Los Angeles Chargers. I think that that would not be the first time where you, know, you have some position like or, or player even like cost you a really, really important game. And then the focus being to fix that position in round one of the draft. And, and that's what I kind of think the Chargers are looking to do with right tackle in this draft. I think the Saints feel that way as well. And more evidence that right tackle could be the pick is that there's also an influx of pass rushers in this division. Uh, the AFC West, that is, with Randy Gregory signing in Denver and Chandler Jones joining Max Crosby in uh, in Las Vegas. So, uh, so the Chargers, they nailed it with Rashawn Slater at left tackle last year. I nailed that pick too, which is nice. But now that there's Dian Hole at right tackle, Trevor Pinning probably not falling to pick 17. A lot of people, however, also thought that Slater wasn't going to fall to 13 last year. It could happen. I don't think it's going to happen. But the Chargers could also move up a spot or two to get Trevor Pinning or Charles Cross if he happens to slide as well. There's a massive drop-off after the big four offensive tackles, and it's the most glaring need for the Chargers. Other obvious needs on this team? Um, I shouldn't say they're that obvious, though, because they were actually big spenders in free agency. Before free agency, I would have said they had a strong lean on defense with this pick. Um, but because the Chargers were so aggressive at filling all their defensive needs, for example, cornerback J.C. Jackson was added to replace the departed Chris Harris uh, Jr., defensive tackles, uh, Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, they were added to replace Linval Joseph, Christian Covington, and Justin Jones. The Chargers were run all over last season. They could not stop the run. It was arguably their biggest weakness other than right tackle. So they might not even be done at defensive tackle. Um, I, I think I, I don't think the recent additions will preclude them from taking a defensive tackle like Jordan Davis or Devontae Wyatt, uh, I should say. Um, wide receiver, probably their last, no, I'll say two more needs. Wide receiver, Keenan Allen, he's on the wrong side of uh, of age 30. Uh, Jamison Williams, an option here because they can afford, they do have Keenan Allen, they do have uh, Mike Williams, and they drafted Josh Palmer, I think in round three last year. So they have some flexibility and they don't desperately need a wide receiver. So if they want to be patient with Jamison Williams, this is a team that can do so. Chris Alave, Drake London would really kind of complete this offense as the wide receiver three slash four. It'd make this offense really difficult to stop. The AFC West is expected to be kind of a track meet with Mahomes, with Devontae Adams now in uh, in Vegas, and now with Russ Wilson in Denver. So offensive playmakers could be more needed than you would expect. But safety's also needed. Nasir Adderley and Derwin James are both free agents in 2023. So Kyle Hamilton, he makes a ton of sense again if he falls. Okay, so with those prospects in mind, and I'm talking about the wide receivers I just mentioned. I'm talking about Trevor Penning at offensive tackle. I'm talking about Kyle Hamilton at safety. With those players in mind, let's now cut it to the Saints here. Back to pick 16, which is where the Saints are on the clock. As I mentioned, there are two schools of thought for the reasons that the Saints made this trade to acquire another first-round pick. So they have two first-round picks now. Let's explore these two schools of thought together, and then I'll kind of decide which route I believe that the Saints are taking and specific prospects I think they may be targeting. If the Saints are going with, we'll call it option A, I'm not saying it's a better option, but let's say, but we'll call it option A. If they're going with option A, the Saints would not be using these two picks to acquire a quarterback of the future, which means they'll be sticking with Jameis Winston, taking a win-now approach in a weak NFC South, a weak NFC as a whole, that they feel that they can at least win the division and then not face many great quarterbacks in the playoffs. And if that's the route that the Saints are going, then immediate team needs become huge here. The Saints kind of have a history of taking players that, you know, they will need down the line, like Peyton Turner last year with David Onyemata and Marcus Davenport both having expiring contracts this year. So Peyton Turner didn't get a lot of playing time this year, but he will be 
an important player in the Saints' future. And they made a couple offensive line picks as well. Although, to the Saints' credit, they played a lot earlier and a lot more than people perceived at the time of the pick. But if you subscribe to the theory that the Saints are using these picks, both these picks, on non-quarterback, then the Saints must address the most pressing needs and puts two immediate starters in there to compete and be the best team they can possibly be with Jameis Winston at quarterback. So what are we looking at here? We're looking at a pretty loaded roster other than, I would say, three or four potential problem areas. But the first one being offensive tackle. Left tackle, Teron Armstead, was not re-signing. Went to Miami. So what is the team's plan at left tackle right now? Is it James Hurst? He's a strong backup. He started some games, but I, I don't think most teams, including the Saints, view him as a starting tackle. But the need for offensive line actually expands further than offensive tackle. I know Saints fans don't want to hear it, but center Eric McCoy, he's a free agent in 2023. This is the last year of his deal. Left guard, also a particular problem area. Has been for years. Andrews Pete has been very subpar. He also has a massive injury history. Calvin Throckmorton, not a serviceable replacement. The Saints offensive line was totally beat up last year. The most frequent combination, according to Sharp Football, that they played was 167 snaps together. That's 15.9% of the season. Ryan Ramchak missed several games. Taron Armstead missed several games. McCoy missed several games. Andrews Pete missed several games. The Saints starters only made 50 of a possible 85 starts, possible starts last year. That's 29th in the league. It was ugly. And accordingly, a lot of Saints fans and draft experts and insiders, including Adam Schefter, believe that this move was made with eyes on a left tackle. And most assumed that that would mean I was, Northern I was Trevor Penning. Because the top three tackles, Charles Cross, Evan Neal, Icky, they're likely gone in the top 10. Trevor Penning may be gone in the top 10, may be gone in the top 15. But there's a narrative out there that the Saints wanted to move ahead of Los Angeles Chargers. Because as I mentioned, the Chargers are widely assumed to want Penning as their right tackle. It's a very likely pick if he's available. So was it a factor? Maybe. But it doesn't really matter for two reasons. First, because the Saints, even if the Saints were right in their assessment that the Chargers love pinning, which I do believe, the Chargers could in theory just move ahead of the Saints to take them. Now that's easier said than done, right? But this seems like a stretch. Second, and most importantly, I don't think pinning is making it to the Saints at 16 anyway. The Seahawks at 9, the Jets at 10, the Texans at 13, the Ravens at 14, all could take them. I personally think that Penning's floor might be 14. So if the Saints really wanted to jump the Charger, and that was the sole purpose of the trade, which I don't think it was, it's just as likely, though, that if they did, it's just as likely they wanted to take a wide receiver. Wide receiver also a bigger need, a big need for the Saints. Michael Thomas, he signed long-term, but he had the issues last year. Hopefully he put those to bed, and the team, that relationship is good. But the team has struggled to find a solid receiver opposite of Michael Thomas since Thomas really became the guy. Marcus Calloway, he's a free agent in 2023. All the prospects that I mentioned for Los Angeles Chargers, Drake London, the OSU receivers, uh, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams out of Bama. It's possible that only one slides after Philly, who also need a receiver, by the way, as do the Falcons at 8, as do the Jets at 10, Texans at 13, maybe Vikings at 12, may, definitely the Commanders at 11. So this is the range, but it's possible they just wanted to move up in front of the Chargers to ensure that they got one of those premier talents, those top four receivers in this draft class. Safety, I mentioned that as a need for Los Angeles Chargers as well here in NOLA. The Saints lost Marcus Williams. P.J. Williams, he did re-sign on a one-year deal. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, he's a free agent in 2023. Malcolm Jenkins retired. The team added Marcus May, but he's coming off an Achilles injury. Will he be ready to start the season? I'm not 100% on that. So the Saints are kind of taking that risk. Safety is still a need. Now, if the team signs the hunting badger, Tyron Matthew, it won't be a need. But Kyle Hamilton, if he slides, the Chargers would have interest. The Saints would have interest. The Eagles would have interest. Defensive tackle, Jordan Davis. I mentioned David Onyemata. He's a free agent this year. The Saints don't really have any other defensive tackles. I mean, they do. They have Shai Tettle. They have a couple other players who can play, but no other studs other than Onyemata, who again is entering the last year of his contract. Jordan Davis will be appealing for a lot of teams in this range. The Chargers, the Eagles. Again, both these teams have a lot of similar needs. The Eagles definitely like Jordan Davis. I can assure you the Chargers do as well. But you're sensing a trend here. Similar needs for the Eagles at 15, the Chargers at 17. So do I think the Saints had to jump the Chargers? No, I think they would have preferred to jump both teams, honestly. 
I think what most likely really happened is the Saints wanted another top 20 pick for whatever reason, and the Eagles were the biggest buyers because they had three first-round picks. The Saints probably tried to trade for the Eagles' 15th overall pick, the first one that they had, in exchange for next year's first, and the Eagles probably just said no, but you can have 19, though. Their last of the three, they had 15, 16, and 19, and the Eagles probably just said no. But you can have pick 19, though, the last of our three first-round picks. And the Saints probably said, well, what about 16, the one in the middle? And the Eagles probably said, okay, but you have to, we have to swap 18 and 19. And there's the negotiation in terms of first-round picks. So in summary, I think that it's possible moving ahead of the Chargers was a factor and maybe a desire. But probably this was more about just negotiating the best possible deal. Not like a starting point, if you will, as it's been assumed by so many. So if you subscribe to the anti or the anti-draft quarterback theory, that is the Saints are not taking a quarterback with one of these two first-round picks, then the logic was probably more along the lines of the Saints have 20-ish players with first-round grades and are fairly certain a few will be available at pick 19. So let's add another first-rounder in the top 20 as high as possible. Maybe we get our first-rounder back next year in exchange for Sean Payton when we trade him to Dallas or whatever. Maybe not. It's just speculation. But the Saints can draft two immediate starters at key positions of need, probably offensive tackle and wide receiver, maybe safety. I think you have to believe all that if your team, you know, offensive tackle, so wide receiver and team anti-quarterback here. Because why do the trade now instead of waiting to see who's available during the draft? Sure, it might be more expensive during the draft. Maybe there's more pressure, less time to get a deal done. Sure, all that may be true, but there has to be some sort of plan or board that you look at and say, okay, we need an offensive tackle. We need a wide receiver. I like the prospects in the teens of this draft. So if not taking a quarterback, you know, maybe Trevor Penning's there at pick 16. If he is, he's probably the pick. Sure. Maybe New Orleans loves some random toolsy offensive tackle like Bernard Ryman or Tyler Smith from Tulsa. It's not like the Saints haven't surprised us with an offensive lineman early in the past. I could see Tyler Smith being the pick. Maybe they actually expect Penning to be gone, like I do, and they're trying to get in front of the Los Angeles Chargers because they think the Chargers are going to take Tyler Smith. Perhaps Tyler Smith is graded a lot higher on most teams' boards than he is in most media mocks. That happens all the time. But again, it could also easily be for a wide receiver. I think that they love either of the OSU guys, Garrett Wilson or Chris Alave. Maybe Drake London or Jamison Williams, but I think Alave and Garrett Wilson are the prize targets there. Maybe Traylon Burks out of Arkansas. And if not, wide receiver off as a tackle, then the players I'm looking at are Jordan Davis, defensive tackle out of UGA, Kyle Hamilton, safety out of Notre Dame. Dennis Allen went to the Notre Dame Pro Day, by the way. And those are both prospects that I'd bet the Eagles and Chargers love and need as well. So maybe it's wide receiver slash OT at 16, 19, and maybe safety in the second round at 49 or some combination of filling those needs. Plug up the roster holes, stacked on paper outside of quarterback, and let's hope Winston can win the division, get a home playoff game, easy NFC conference with a lack of quarterbacks. Yeah, that theory makes sense. It checks out. But so does the other route. Now let's talk about the other route. This is the quarterback route. That is packaging these picks to do another deal to move up into the top 10 for a quarterback. Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter. The best argument for drafting quarterback side of this option is that in terms of draft capital given up, it heavily favors the Eagles, right? Like we got to admit that. Like let's assume, just assume that the Saints and Eagles finish similarly next season. The trade would essentially be even value for both teams and arguably help both teams if that's the case. However, it's not the case. The Saints were forced to throw in a third rounder and a 2024 second rounder. And that's why I think in terms of draft capital, it leans Eagles very clearly. I'm not saying it will definitely end up that way, but we're playing percentages here. And, and I'm saying this because I'm get asked. i getting asked a lot of, about it a lot. And that's my opinion on it. And a lot of Saints fans are trying to defend the trade in terms of draft capital. It's like, oh, we didn't give up that much. We're going to be good next year, so it'll be a late pick. We're basically even. Well, it seems a little desperate to mortgage what I feel is a free second rounder and a free third rounder in the future, but oftentimes we see trades for franchise quarterbacks justify for spending extra draft capital. If you secure your franchise quarterback, it doesn't matter what you give up, they say. 
And it makes sense. You had to be aggressive to do it. It's a quarterback league. And for the Saints fans who think there's no way the Saints will draft a quarterback because they signed Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton. I mean, this happens regularly following the draft. It can be a smokescreen to distract teams from thinking the Saints won't take a quarterback. It distracted y'all if it happens. Like, so a quarterback needy team is less likely to move ahead of them when on the clock. So that's kind of why that would happen there. Uh, The Bears, for example, they signed Andy Dalton in Nick Foles last year. They said Dalton was definitely going to be the starter. Dalton's our guy for next year. And then they drafted Justin Fields in round one. And it's not like they had an early pick. The Bears had the 20th pick and they moved up to 12 to take Fields. That was the plan to draft Justin Fields. That didn't stop him from signing uh, Andy Dalton, calling him the starter. Just like that might not stop uh, the Saints from signing Jameis Winston, calling him the starter. Jameis Winston is effectively on a one-year contract with a team option for 2023. He's coming off an ACL tear. And Dalton is just not good. So of course the Saints are at least considering quarterbacks. It'd be naive to think otherwise. Plus, Another counter-argument to the anti-draft quarterback crowd, what happens in 2023 now if Winston just doesn't work out? Now the team is no first-rounder in 2023. They can't take a quarterback then. So I certainly believe the Saints made this move with at least the possibility of landing a quarterback that they like in this draft. And they can prepare as if they don't get one. I'm sure the Bears prepared as if Justin Fields wouldn't be there or wouldn't slide. You can prepare as if you're not going to get a quarterback like Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett or Devin Ritt. Excuse me, Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett or Desmond Ritter. Like if they don't fall to your pick, you can prepare. And then you can just go with option A. Like I said, the great prospects at wide receivers, maybe a tackle, maybe a safety. But I definitely believe that this move was made at least in part to provide the flexibility to draft a quarterback if the board plays out favorably. And that's at least. This move could be entirely based on aggressively grabbing one of the quarterback, like a quarterback the team loved. Maybe the Saints see a potential star in this draft class, like they supposedly saw in Pat Mahomes years ago, when by some accounts they were prepared to draft Mahomes had Lattimore not been there and Casey not moved up to 10 right before him. And as a side note, it's worth mentioning that the trades uh, that the Saints have done in the past, they've moved up from 27 to 10 from Marcus Davenport. He's a pass rusher, not a quarterback. And Jay Glazier, who's tight with Sean Payton, he reported last year on the eve of the draft that the Saints wanted to move up to the top 10 to take a corner. Cornerback, not quarterback. J.C. Horner, Patrick Sertan, but they went 8-9. and nine. So could it be for a guy like a cornerback like Sauce Gardner? It's possible. We can't rule it out. But more than likely, if the Saints use one or both of these picks to move up, it's for a quarterback. And I would say more than likely right now, the plan is to draft a quarterback with one of these two picks. It doesn't have to be that we package these picks and move up to four or five. But let's talk about that. Let's break that down. We have to figure out who the possible target is, or at least break down the scenarios of possible target. And that's where we kind of revisit the things that I discussed in the top 10. It's no secret that the Carolina Panthers could be taking a quarterback at six. All indications are, and connecting the dots would have us believe that the top-rated quarterback is Kenny Pickett. If he's who the Saints want, which, you know, you can think whatever you want about Kenny Pickett, but he is seen at, with all his flaws, even though some teams won't see, have as a first-round grade on him, some teams won't even have a second-round grade on him, for all his flaws, he is seen as the most ready-to-play out of the prospects in this draft class. And that does kind of fit what the Saints are looking for right now. They need a quarterback ready to play soon. This team is built to win now, soon. But if he's who the Saints want, then they're going to have to jump the Panthers probably to get him before the draft, So, or at least before they're on the clock. So the Saints have a weird, Saints and Panthers have a weird history of kind of moving ahead of each other to steal players. The Saints would have to get to pick five. Panthers have picked six. The Giants pick at pick five, and they also have picked seven. They're rebuilding. So maybe they'd be likely trade partners, honestly. They'd be willing to do it because they're a team that, you know, maybe they could want the extra first rounder next year. If Daniel Jones doesn't work out, he's going to make a break year. So if the Saints send 16 and 19 for pick five, that signals that the quarterback that they want is likely Kenny Pickett. If they move to pick seven, though, that's the Giants' other pick. Then I think the quarterback that they are targeting is Malik Willis because Atlanta, Seattle, both could be Willis suitors. And we know the Steelers at 20 are. And we know the Steelers probably know that if they really want Malik Willis, which I think they do, they're going to have to move up to get Willis. And I think Atlanta and Seattle are great trade partners for that. So to me, if the Saints move to pick seven, around there after Carolina, I think it signals that the Saints are targeting Malik Willis. And then the third quarterback option is Desmond Ritter. And I think that there's a decent chance that the Saints view him pretty highly. He fits seven out of seven 
of Bill Parcells' rules of drafting quarterbacks. So does Pickett, by the way. And, and more importantly, Ritter could even be there at pick 16, even pick 19. I should mention that if Carolina doesn't take Pickett, we could definitely see a slide there. Pickett could also fall to pick 16, but Ritter is more likely to be there in the teens to where the Saints wouldn't even have to move this pick. So right now, I think that Pickett or Ritter are probably the targets at quarterback. And the Saints are getting in position to move up for them if they feel it is necessary. And it may not be. That's the beauty of the trade con. That's the beauty of doing it now. They have the extra ammunition if they want to, but they don't have to. Because Desmond Ritter could easily fall to pick 16. He could easily fall to pick 19. And if that's the case, they get that extra first round pick to do what they want with it. They can use it on the receivers we discussed after grabbing Desmond Ritter. I think that would be the ideal scenario. That's pro- I would imagine that's probably what the Saints want to play out. That's currently actually what I have playing out in my mock draft, where the Saints land a quarterback of the future in Ritter, and they also secure a wide receiver who's ready to start immediately like Chris Alave or Garrett Wilson. I have it as Alave right now. Could easily be Wilson. The Saints, they sent a large contingent of Dennis Allen, Jeff Ireland, receivers coach Cody Burns, two of the Ohio State pro day to watch Chris Alave and Garrett Wilson. So to me, that would make the most sense after the trade, that they want one of those guys. And you can make a great argument for both sides, whether it's you know, anti-quarterback in the draft, or they're using both picks to take a quarterback, or kind of playing the middle ground, which is kind of what I'm doing, and saying one of the picks are going to be a quarterback, and they're actually going to keep their other first rounder and use it on a wide receiver. I think that's what's most likely. So to conclude this rant, because I think the top four offensive tackles probably will be off the board by, by pick 16, I do not subscribe to the theory that this trade is to get one of the top offensive tackles. I think they'll be gone. I don't really subscribe to the theory either that they had to move in front of the Chargers for that reason. I think it helps. But to me, because I think that the uh, top four offensive tackles will be gone and because I think it's a great spot to draft a wide receiver and because I also think the Saints need a quarterback in the future, I lean towards wide receiver and quarterbacks being taken with these two picks. My guesses would be that one of the OSU receivers, either Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave, will be one of the picks and a quarterback being the other, either Kenny Pickett if he falls or Desmond Ritter. Names that other position that we could hear if the Saints keep their picks and don't go quarterback. Tulsa offensive tackle Tyler Smith. Safety out of Notre Dame Kyle Hamilton. Defensive tackle Jordan Davis out of UGA. So be sure to check back in the future episodes uh, in my mock draft regularly as I'm updating it daily to see where I project things that could affect the Saints picks. All right, that'll conclude today's episode. We are out of time today. I'll pick up with the Steelers at pick 20. We'll do teams 20 through 32 in the next episode. Steelers, starting with them, that is another quarterback needy team. I think they're going to trade up from Malik Willis. At least they're going to try to. If not, maybe Kenny Pickett, maybe Desmond Ritter, some of the guys we just talked about. So we're going to start with the Steelers and go all the way to 32 right here in the next episode. Again, my mock draft updated daily on fantasylawguy.com. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a solid, hit the subscribe button, give a positive rating review. Would have really appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.